Hello, and welcome to Resources Radio, a weekly podcast from Resources for the Future. I'm your host, Kristen Hayes. This week, we talk with Massimo Tavoni, the director of the RFF, CMCC, European Institute on the Economy and the Environment. Max is also an associate professor at the School of Management of Politecnico di Milano in Milan, Italy. Max focuses his research on climate change policies, and he advises international organizations and institutions on the low-carbon transition. Today, Max and I talk about integrated assessment models, what they are, how they're used in studying climate change, and why they matter for decision-making. Stay with us. Max, welcome to Resources Radio. It's great to have you here. Yeah, I'm excited. (laughs) So Max, you've ended up spending your professional life building and using models of the Earth's climate system. So how did you get involved in this fairly technical field? What's your background that brought you to this point? Yeah, this is indeed the outcome of something very personal, what relates to my background. I started doing work as an applied mathematician, engineer, and then work in several jobs and was not very happy with that. And then at some point I decided climate was the thing I wanted to actually study more. So I got into that and then, you know, did a master along the way in economics and did a PhD afterwards. And I was kind of blending things. And the reason being, I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do in life, I guess. So it just took me a long time to actually figure out what I really wanted to do. That has, you know, downsides. The upside was I learned a lot of different things along the way and picked up on so many different tools. And then I realized that the climate problem is such a big problem that you need to have these integrated views that you know, ranges from engineering, math, climate, economics, mm-hmm. to try just to understand it. And for me, the natural language for trying to address such a complicated issue, which otherwise sometimes seems just too big to be solvable, mm-hmm. is just to use the, these kind of models that try to quantify and relate different components of the Earth and the human systems of us, of our society. Mm-hmm. Right, to write them down in a way that is actually uh, formal, but it's at the same time understandable. And mm-hmm. that's how we started and then we got going for several years. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you for giving us uh, a little bit more of an introduction because I know these models are a really critical part of decision making. So it'll be good to learn a little bit more about them from an expert. My understanding is that the most common type of model used in understanding how the Earth's climate may change over time is called an integrated assessment model, or IAM. So can you break that down for us? And what does each of those words mean in this context, integrated assessment model? So integrated stands for integrated different disciplines. So it's just, if you want to understand what it takes to stabilize the climate and avoid the climate disasters, we need to integrate you know, what we know about the climate to begin with, obviously, that's pretty (laughs) simple, but then we need to understand the sources of the problem, Mm -hmm. and that's everyday life, it's our economy, it's the way we use and consume and produce energy, it's the way you use land, and so you need to bring in these different elements, essentially integrating, because it integrates a series of things and disciplines, and in this specific case, it's a series of modules Mm -hmm. related to climate, economics, uh, social dimensions as well, Mm -hmm. and technological dimensions. Assessment, that's the le- second letter, the, mm-hmm. a, the A letter, stands for using this to assess policies. If we want to understand how we get to two degrees and avoid going to five or even more, we have to understand how to assess these transition policies and what it takes to get down mm-hmm. to two degrees. And these are essentially, this is what, what are the models used for. And then M stands for models, of course, and this is maybe the most difficult one. What is a <laughs> model? After all, it gets a lot of confusion, of course. 
And um, it's about essentially something which is written in a com software type of environment. It's just mm -hmm. and on big computers, which is just too difficult to solve pen and paper. Mm -hmm. that's, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. These are quite quite big computers from what I understand as well, that these models, given how elaborate and complex they are, uh, it takes a tremendous amount of computing power to actually run that many pieces yeah. of information. I mean, there, there's a lot of variety. I think that's also the beauty of it. Of course, the, the most complex models take a lot of time to run. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, however, you also have very simple models that actually take very little to run. And they're very useful for teaching or for just understanding the basic things. Mm -hmm. And do a very good job at explaining some of, or some of the things, but mm -hmm. not all of them. Uh, just to get you, just to understand that, you know, this is not just some so complicated thing that cannot be understood. Mm -hmm. In some cases, it can be understood. Indeed, the Nobel Prize in Economics this year was awarded uh, to a professor who developed such a simple model, which is publicly available and can be taught very easily at the university or even at before at high school. Then, of course, things can get more complicated in more complex models. But just to say, there's a lot of variety here. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. Uh, so... Specifically looking at integrated assessment models, these IAMs, so what kind of questions are they designed to answer? And how does the information they produce get used in a decision-making context or a policy-making context? I think the answer three main questions. The first one is what's going to happen if you keep doing what we are doing right now? Mm -hmm. now we, we know we're not doing it right, but how bad is this going to be? And so this is kind of scenarios. How, you know, how, how, how warmer will be the planet by the end of this century or in 20 years? from now if we keep doing what we are doing. Mm -hmm. So this is the first one. The second one, which is obviously the opposite side, is what shall we do if mm -hmm. we want to avoid going still going up and emissions are rising and we want emission to go down and temperature to be within certain limits that we don't want to exceed. Mm -hmm. And these are what most of these models are usually most of the time. Mm -hmm. So it's telling you, you know, what kind of policies you have to deploy, what kind of technologies you need, what should you know, us as individuals as opposed to corporations, as opposed to organizations do hmm. to stabilize the climate. The third one, which is uh, yet another thing, is understand what are the economic costs and the economic mm -hmm. benefits uh, uh, of uh, reducing CO2 emissions and, uh, you know, making the planet a more healthy, healthy place, mm -hmm. both in terms of the climate, but also of other systems, just, you know, better water, better land, or better air quality in general. Mm -hmm. So these are the main main issues, I guess. Okay. So just one follow-up question for you on that. So it, here at RFF, we have a number of models. Um, and oftentimes, we use those to actually see what the impacts of a particular policy choice might be. So what happens if you put a carbon tax into the U.S. economy? What are the effects of that? So it sounds to me like IAMs might be used slightly differently. Whereas we would put a policy into a model, you might actually uh, start with a a temperature target or an emissions target and see what sort of policies might get you there. Is yeah, that right? Is that, yeah, you yeah? can do it both ways. You can do they, it both ways. They, they okay. can also be used the other way, as mm -hmm. you said, just to evaluate it policy. Okay. But it also meant to, they're also meant to inform policymakers when they're thinking about designing policies. Mm -hmm. And that is a kind of very normative approach. Mm -hmm. What should the world do yeah. in the best possible world mm -hmm. to get ourselves to a safe path? Yeah. In a way, this is a bigger, more complicated question, and sometimes it doesn't include uh, political realism <laughs> or <laughs> some sure. of the many things that we know very well are making this transition so, so, so much more difficult than we think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and how do these models deal with technological change? 
Yeah, this is, these are models which, you know, look at the very future, long future, right? Okay. They generate scenarios for many decades, till the end of the century, when, when most of us, I guess everyone, mm -hmm. uh, at least among us, or at least in my... I'm planning team. on living forever. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But um, so here, to what extent technology will change is, is, is a really crucial parameter. But mm -hmm. it's not just technology, preferences, uh, social habits, uh, you know, mm -hmm. lifestyles, people preferences change as well. It's not mm -hmm. just the technology. Of course, technology changes very, very fast. And this is one one point where the models can do something and can also should also be taken with care because mm -hmm. we can project some of the changes that we see already happening, but we also cannot project many of those that mm -hmm. will come. Mm -hmm. And for that, uh, you know, we resort to large scenarios, ensembles, large sensitivity analysis, mm -hmm. and plus. Uh, we use the models not as prediction tools, but as tools for thinking about what are the problems and their solutions. Mm -hmm. And also, you have to understand that a lot of the things related to climate and the energy sector, it, it takes a lot of time to change. We have a lot of power plants in this country, in Europe mm -hmm. and elsewhere, that is going to stay there for a long time. Mm -hmm. So some of the things we know actually for a long time how will play out. For some others, we don't. And mm -hmm. we have to be very humble and not trust the models well too much mm -hmm. to use our middle salt brain yeah yeah humility is always a good thing yeah. so um just one other sort of context question so how many of these models how many integrated assessment models are there in the world are they common are they uh place specific give us there, a little bit there more. are several each country okay. has several okay europe has a lot maybe it's one of the leaders in this u.s also has several teams mm -hmm. spread across the country in research institutes universities that develop them and then there are japan as an history china so that's actually the fun thing of working in this field we get together you know it's a community science it's mm -hmm. not just one team it's a a group of teams and each team being big which means a lot of people and it's mm -hmm. a community of international scientists so we meet regularly around the world and we discuss things and how to improve models and we mm -hmm. learn from each other which is actually the very nice thing about it mm -hmm. and i learned just this morning that your uh, institute in milan is actually the home or the secretariat for the integrated assessment model working group is that right yeah What's it's the right a consortium name? it's a kind of okay. an association okay. scientific association of all, all teams working on these kind of things mm -hmm. that as we were discussing before have a lot of influence on the policy mm -hmm. and the design of in, of climate policies and um, yeah we're th we are thrilled we are thrilled to have the secretariat just because it allows us to engage with so many different teams. Sure. And this being so complicated, it really helps to do community science mm -hmm. in this case and have, you know, sharing practices and mm -hmm. learning from each other a lot. Yeah, that's great. It does sound like these models uh, play a very important role in decision-making. And I think um, sometimes can be perceived as having sort of an outsized influence in decision-making. Uh, you've already talked about some of the challenges and some of the places where humility is needed in, in interpreting and understanding modeling results. But tell us a little bit more about other places where you've identified weaknesses in the model or ways to improve the modeling. Yeah, just ways where we should take that grain of salt. Yeah. Uh, one thing, for example, I mean, there are many examples where we think uh, we should take the, these kind of long-term scenarios with sufficient care and not just get you know, too trapped into what, what the model says mm -hmm. and trust the models too much. I think that's always useful. Human behavior is one example that always mm -hmm. comes to mind. It's very easy, or let's say it's relatively easier, to kind of model things like technological transitions in some sectors mm -hmm. 
it's much more difficult to model human behavior. Humans, uh, you humans know, behave, are so complicated. They are complicated. They behave differently, mm-hmm. and they are by nature different. Plus, this is a global problem, so we have different cultures, mm-hmm. uh, people all over the place. So that is something where the models, for example, have not do- done a good job in the past. Mm-hmm. They're trying now to improve. They are using sciences coming from the behavioral world, from the psychological, social psychology studies, mm-hmm. to get a better feeling of what actually people do when they're confronted with choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also a lot of the mistakes also that we uh, do every day in, every, in, every, in so many of our decisions. Um, and that part is very hard to capture. The other is the social part. I mean, mm-hmm. social, this transformation is, is not just a technical fix. This is much more profound. This mm-hmm. is a, a way also to influence our way our societies work mm-hmm. uh, and function. Um, and this also is very complicated to, to model very precisely. Mm-hmm. So we do a lot of scenarios and uh, assumptions about the future, which resembles different past. Uh, and again, try to be humble as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you give an example? For example, your team in Milan runs an integrated assessment model. Could you tell us a little bit more about that one and perhaps a way in which your team is directly using that, a way that you're working to make your particular model better? Yeah. I, I mean, our team uh, is a relatively small team maybe compared to others. We are about maybe you know five, six people working on, 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 on this kind of model. It's a model that, well, it's a model that actually s- combines two elements. Uh, on one hand, it's, 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 it's the global problem and the fact that countries uh, do not act in the interest of the world mm-hmm. and so we take this very seriously and uh, and this is a kind of reflecting international politics as we see today uh, in the US in Brazil in many other countries uh, that what is best for the world is often not necessarily best for single individual mm-hmm. single individual nations so our model is this kind of game theory approach hmm. where we have these strategic incentives and strategic behavior of different countries uh, that we contra- compare and contrast towards this kind of uh, more paternalistic view of the world as a whole. The other element is technical change, which we discussed already. Mm-hmm. In this, the model brings together the two Nobel Prizes that were awarded this year. One was already mentioned, and the other uh, went to Paul Romer, who developed and also technical change theory mm-hmm. in economics. So our model from the beginning thought that these two elements, uh, this more strategic game theoretic th- mm. dimension and the technological change dimension, would be important uh, in solving the problem. Mm-hmm. And indeed, you know, if we don't cooperate and if we don't de- de- develop technology sufficiently, we will never be able to solve it. Right, right. So can you tell me a little bit more about the types of data that go into these models? And given that it's a global model, how do you access global data sources of the kind that you might need to, to feed um, a tool like this? Well, luckily, at least on that front, we made progress in the past years. There are now large databases of socioeconomic indicators, climate indicators, energy indicators of all sorts for most countries. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and if they are not precise in some regions, they are less precise than in others. But overall, I think data quality has improved a lot. Mm-hmm. And we are seeing this more and more with data sources that are new and were not there before. Mm-hmm. And now we have remote sensing and you know data coming from individuals, from regions, and so we can get down at a level of disaggregation, which is much, much better than it used to be. Okay. Now, this is for today. Now, this is the data that de- describe the world as it, as it stands. Mm-hmm. Now, we want to describe the world that changes, though, mm-hmm. and that is much more complicated right. because 
We want a world which is nothing like the one that we've seen in the past. Otherwise, we'll keep doing what we're doing. And this is exactly not what we're looking for. <laughs> right, not the goal. Exactly, with this model. So then uh, the, the thing here, then how you get to transition and to change. Mm -hmm. And you know how you change these paradigms. And that is more complicated to answer. And it kind of refers back to what we discussed just before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So one of the important ways in which integrated assessment models are used is in developing these large-scale global reports put out by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. They come out periodically. They give a... Um, high-level perspective on um, collective guidance on what we should be doing, what path we're on, uh, what needs to change. So can you say a little bit more about how IAMs feed into those reports, which are pretty seminal to how the world thinks about climate change? Yeah, thank you. That That's an important question. They relate and speak very much to the scientific community. And it happens in various ways. Many of the authors or lead authors of these reports uh, are typically people working in our field. Mm -hmm. So we are directly uh, part of this, this kind of uh, assessment report phases, which mm -hmm. is pretty long and tedious. We have several meetings, week-long meetings, uh, where essentially we discuss whatever is out there mm -hmm. in terms of published uh, literature. And then we create scenarios for the IPCC to be as objective as possible. IPCC reviews evidence, doesn't produce any new evidence. Mm -hmm. So everything which we provide to the IPCC has been published and has been vetted by the peer review. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's actually open and accessible. So all the repositories of all the papers and all the articles and all the scenarios are actually made publicly available. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can easily find them uh, on our websites and these can be uh, openly downloaded. Mm -hmm. But the IPCC, it sounds, is quite dependent on the kind of information that you are producing in order to generate its own conclusions. It's certainly not the only thing that, that the IPCC cares about, mm -hmm. but it's certainly a very integral part, not just on the climate side, but also on these kind of transitions towards low-carbon scenarios. And the climate, we know already that it more or less how it looks like, but we need to know more and more what we need to do to make it look different. And, and that mm -hmm. is where the scenarios are very useful. And indeed, the IPCC has been using them a lot either to portray possible alternatives mm -hmm. in the future or just also to provide more data on what we should actually do. Mm -hmm. So, for example, when should emissions uh, uh, start falling? In which year? At what rate? Mm. When should emissions finally reach zero? Mm -hmm. These are typical things and typical things that you read in the reports, you know, mm -hmm. peak in 2025, steep decline in 2030, 40, reach neutrality by 2050, 60, 70. And these are typical things that come out of the models. Mm -hmm. And it would be very hard to, let's say, add them coming out of something else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and you mentioned that a lot of the work or all of the work that you do is, in fact, peer-reviewed. There's a um, commitment to, to illustrating what's behind the modeling results, but that's difficult. Models are, I think, inherently difficult for the layperson to understand. So how do you build how do you build trust in the community um, around the information that's coming out of these models? Is there are there avenues for transparency or other ways that you can um, convince convince people of the sort of the validity, at least with all due humility, but the validity of what it is that you're producing or finding? Yeah, you're, you're touching upon a very important point. If we are not trusted, then no one will take whatever we say seriously. Yeah. Now, we have different ways of doing this, and all, all should be perfected anyways, but <laughs> at the science level, as you said, we get published in peer review, so we follow the standard procedures. Mm -hmm. As I also mentioned already, we made our data publicly available. Mm -hmm. 
Plus, most of the models, I would say now the majority, are actually open source. Mm -hmm. So you, you know, people can download the code and run them. Of course, they're very complicated, so sure. it's not an easy job to do. Um, the other things we build visualization tools. That's where what mm. we're working a lot to help everyone understand what's going on. And mm -hmm. you know, th there's a lot of ways now to visualize complex databases uh, yeah, and with all with big data revolution. Mm -hmm. And we are harnessing some of that power and pairing up with experts who know how people understand images and, and mm -hmm. can really understand visualizations uh, and you know very good experts also in terms of designing mm -hmm. uh, them uh, in a nice way and uh, creating more and more infographics uh, and uh, databases that can can provide a, a glimpse or a kind of an overview of the key essential facts mm -hmm. and then if you want to dig deeper you can and you can download the data go to the code in this way we are building several levels of transparency for different audiences mm -hmm. um, and that's what we're doing right now that's great. That's great. Do you have a do you have a website you could recommend where if somebody wanted to check out someone being me, if somebody <laughs> wanted to check out some of those data visualizations? If you look for IMC, which stands Integrated uh, Assessment Modeling Consortium Scenarios, mm -hmm. uh, then you just Google that and you're going to get okay. a lot of things coming up. IAMC. Um, got it. All right. Yeah. Okay. So, Max, we usually close our we always close our podcast with a feature that we call Top of the Stack. Uh, where we ask our guests to recommend something to our listeners, either something that you've read, something that you've watched, something that you've listened to uh, that you think might be of interest on this general energy, climate change, natural resource um, in this area. So what's on the top of your stack, Max? If it's in Italian, that might be a little challenging for <laughs> some people, but that's fine. We'll we'll take recommendations in all languages. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. I have two, two very quick recommendations. First one, if you want to know more about all this stuff, mm -hmm. there's just a very good website, which is called Carbon Brief. I don't maintain it. It's just a UK website okay. where you can find a lot of information uh, on all kind of these scenarios, two degrees, and how we get there and what kind of science we need mm -hmm. to bag it up. Uh, and it's very useful, very informative, and very simple. Now, with that said, I would also suggest to, to watch a documentary, which is called Mountain. Uh, it's just very simple title. It's okay. Mountain. And it's just this in long images of mountains hmm. uh, with, uh, with a narrator who just tells you th things about mountains and why we got fascinated by mountains. Huh. And why should I care? But, well, obviously, this is personal. I care about mountains a lot. I'm, yeah. I like mountaineering a lot. But it's also the mountains where we are seeing the biggest changes yeah. due to climate change. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you have a chance then, you know, to go and see the glaciers mm -hmm. uh, and see how fast they are retreating... And in general, if you're fascinated by high altitude and big mountains, you're going to probably also understand why climate is changing and will be affecting ourselves and our future generations so much. Yeah. But it's a beautiful movie. That sounds fantastic. Thanks. Those are great recommendations. Well, Max, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on Resources Radio. We'd love to hear what you think, so please rate us on iTunes or leave us a review. It helps us spread the word. Also, feel free to send us your suggestions for future episodes. Resources Radio is a podcast from Resources for the Future. RFF is an independent, nonprofit research institution in Washington, D.C. Our mission is to improve environmental, energy, and natural resource decisions through impartial economic research and policy engagement. Learn more about us at rff.org. The views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the participants. They do not necessarily represent the views of Resources for the Future, which does not take institutional positions on public policies. 
Resources Radio is produced by Kate Peterson with music by Daniel Ramey. Join us next week for another episode.